There is so much for us to ponder today. This is number four in our series as we journey through the book of Judges. And it's about Gideon. The people of God have yet again gone their own way and it's all gone horribly wrong. The Lord has decided to save them though. He's going to do this through Gideon. But it's a process. God raises Gideon as judge to save the Israelites, but God wants to make it abundantly clear that it's not Gideon's power, it's not the might of the Israelite army, it's God who's doing the saving here. Now some judges have very little said about them, you might get a couple of verses for some. Gideon has got three chapters, four if you want to count it a certain way. That should tell us something. But what? Before we go any further, uh, let's pray. As June reminded us earlier, let's recall these words of Jesus. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Father, let us not listen in vain today. May we hear your testimony loud and clear about the one whom you have sent, your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Right. If you can dream it, you can do it. I'd like to begin this morning by asking us to ponder the rightness of that statement. Is it true? Is it a lie? Is it somewhere in between? If you can dream it, you can do it. One thing, it's very inspirational, isn't it? It's practically the slogan for a world-renowned brand in film, I shan't name them. Um, so perhaps you'd be more comfortable with maybe a slightly different variant, something more empowering. Your destiny is in your hands. How about that one? Don't worry, I'm not here to knock inspirational quotes. They are so commonplace in our society. But I want us to recognize that this is tricky terrain. You heard Marcus speaking earlier about how even in the film industry, things can be good, some not so good. So these aren't lies, exactly, but think back to the serpent in the Garden of Eden, or Satan as he tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. We see that the best lies tend to have more than a little grain of truth in them. So where's the danger? Well, it's quite simple, worship. The wrong kind of worship. That we might be drawn into worshiping something other than God. The Bible has a word for it, it's a scary word, but I'm not afraid to use it, idolatry. The serpent succeeded 
in leading Adam and Eve to worshiping themselves. He said, you too will be like God. But hallelujah, he failed to convince Jesus to worship him. How do our inspirational quotes compare? So here's what we're going to do today. For the next 25 minutes or so, we're going to dig into scripture. We're going to look at Gideon's story and see if there are any answers for us there. Because here in Gideon's world, we see a people who have stopped looking to God for answers. On paper, they still call themselves the people of God. Nominally, they still follow God, and they're happy to be known as his people. But in fact, the opposite had become true, and the results disastrous. We read in the very first verse of chapter 6, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Imagine that, a defeated people, not the people of God. They are completely overrun by the Midianites and haven't got a clue what to do about it. They hide. Trouble has come, and so they hide. For them, in theory, God is still there somewhere, but no longer to be sought out, not to be counted on, not to be trusted in all things. We see a lost people so far removed from their confidence, their joy, hope, strength, so far removed from God, their maker. You may, you may know someone who's very reluctant to go to the GP, even though it's clear that they should, and I'm just checking that my wife's not here to point at me. Um, or maybe you're like me. Um, when you virtually have to be at death's door before you stop with your I know my own body routine and swallow your pride. When we are beset by troubles, to whom do we turn? You see, the Lord is not unaware of the problem of the Midianites, but will it cause his people to turn to him? Or will they, like me, like us, will they continue to pretend to know what's best? It's like when I've Googled my own symptoms, and although I'm ridiculously unqualified, I still want to overcome on my own terms, doctor. I, I've, I've Googled this. Um, eventually, the Israelites do cry out to God. And God, God is faithful. He responds and he saves because that is who he is. And I'm so grateful that God is the faithful one. God is faithful and true. We just sung it. He's patient and merciful. As Christians, we believe that ultimately, God has met us in our 
deepest need in the person of Jesus, the one who saves the whole world. But let's understand that God does notice this I will be my own God thing. It's an attitude that does not please him. I'll read on from verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior? Are you joking? There's nothing mighty or brave about any Israelite round about now. Do you think God doesn't know that they've turned hiding into an art form? Of course God knows. Gideon knows it too. And he knows that he's not being paid a compliment here. So what does he do? His response is to have a whinge back at God. Verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? We can be like that too, can't we? Here is Gideon, hiding wheat in his father's winepress. Yet, he's dreaming of victory. He's dreaming of being victorious over the Midianites, hiding in the wine press. He has dreams of freeing his people. But like everyone else, Gideon has looked within and saw nothing. He's found himself lacking. On their own, inspirational quotes can ring true, but they can also be dangerously misleading. Yes, we are capable of many great things. After all, we are fearsome and wonderfully made. But without the one who made us, we are lost. The truth of who we are becomes distorted when we cut ourselves off from the one who loves us. When we believe the lie and forget that it is Jesus who determines the outcome. Jesus, who is victorious. But at this point, Gideon can only think in terms of his own limitations. From verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answers, I will be with you. This interaction is crucial for us to understand. The point is being made loud and clear. Gideon is going to help save the people of God. But Gideon himself needs saving first. I will be with you, God says. So just who is it who will be with Gideon? Let's talk for a moment, a brief moment, if I, I'll try. Um, let's talk for a moment about the angel of the Lord. I'm sure the eagle-eyed amongst you would have noticed a peculiar thing going on in that passage. We start out with the angel of the Lord coming to Gideon in verses 11 and 12. But as the conversation develops, 
it only takes two short verses by verse 14 for us to discover that it is the Lord. So is this the Lord or the angel of the Lord? As one of my annoying lecturers would say, yes. <laughs> yes. You see, the writers of the Old Testament have this complex way of describing encounters with God to show us that God is otherworldly, but they still represent God in a way that's accessible to our senses. So sometimes you get a reference like the wisdom of God, like in the book of Proverbs, or here, the angel of the Lord. And then that representation is revealed to be, in fact, the Lord. Of course, in the New Testament, it's Jesus who is revealed to be that representation of God. Jesus is the wisdom and the word of God, the Logos. He's God made flesh. There's so much more I could say about Gideon's calling, how it echoes that of Moses. Moses, who was living in Midian at the time, he married into Midian. Moses, who was also called by the angel of the Lord from the burning bush. Moses, to whom God gave the same answer when he came up with his lame excuses. And God said, I will be with you. For those who are intrigued, Exodus chapter 3, it's a great read. But it's not always straightforward, I'll admit. Nevertheless, whenever I see this sort of reference to the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, I can't help but think, hang about, could this be Jesus? We know that he is in the saving business. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've learned from earlier talks about judges that they all point to Jesus. Judges is filled with many Jesus-like saviors who don't quite measure up. The rescue that they bring is only ever temporary, lasting perhaps during their lifetimes. And Gideon is no different. Jesus, however, Jesus is at the heart of our worship because he still lives. Jesus' rescue is everlasting. His declared mission was to bring about a permanent redemption. Jesus calls it the kingdom of God. And he would say things like, the time has come. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. This holds for all of humankind across all generations. In Jesus, God has drawn so near, he is now one of us. This is fantastic news, people. And who doesn't like fantastic news? But look closely, there is also repentance, which is a very churchy sounding word, I'll admit. Also, it's a bit misunderstood. And so sometimes we simplify it and say, well, it's a bit like being sorry. And while 
yes, being sorry can be part of it. It's not quite what repentance is. Going back to my O-level physics, don't ask me how long that is, um, I reckon being sorry compared to repentance is a bit like speed compared to velocity. Only one of them implies direction. Uh, velocity, let's just be clear. Only one of them implies direction. A change of direction. But not any old direction. A turn towards God. You may have heard this turning described in many different ways. For example, doing a 180, have we heard that? Um, turn around 180 degrees, not 360, because that just gets you right back to where you were. Um, last Saturday, we were at Bell Champs. Becky was just telling us about it. We had a talent night, which was absolutely brilliant. Um, I was particularly struck by a young lad. He couldn't have been more than 12 years old. He stood up with no music, no sheets, no lyrics, no nothing, completely a cappella, and belted out a worship song. Blew me away. It was the song, Run to the Father. It was so heartfelt, so moving. The song begins with these words. I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. Sometimes we forget that repentance, the change in direction, can also be upwards. Our repentance can simply be looking up to the Lord and acknowledging that God is who he is. That only he is worthy of our worship. It's when we can stop looking downwards and inwards. Simply because we can hear the smiling voice of Jesus say, look up child. You see, we have missold repentance. It is a thing of joy, not of guilt, not of embarrassment, joy. Knowing all you have to do is to turn or look up and find there the wide open arms of the Father. And as June said earlier, the welcoming Christ. Friend, if you're sitting here this morning feeling that something isn't quite right in your life, know that Gideon felt it too. He wanted God, but he hadn't made space for God. He and his people expected God to be present, to be real, to be active. But look! In his own father's house, they had an altar to another god and an Asherah pole. This won't do. The God of Abraham simply will not have it. He insists that other gods be taken down first so that Gideon can turn to him. Verse 25, 
That same night, the Lord said to him, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Sisters, brothers, what is installed in the center of our lives? What is driving our ethics, our choices, our worship? Don't make a list. It could be potentially endless. Often you will hear warnings about the big three, sex, power, money. What about our politics? What does that set? Our greed, our lack of generosity, our lack of faithfulness to one another. Can we even see our own idols sometimes? The lies we tell ourselves. You know, the ones that are pretty much on autopilot. We barely pay attention to them anymore except perhaps for the lingering dread, the hidden shame. I want to say this morning, that's not what God wants for us. That's not the song he is singing over us. So no more hiding in clefts, no more hiding in caves. It's time to live. So in this beautiful thing called repentance, we can pray to God to show us the bowels in our lives, the ones that need to come down. They need to come down so that in their place, the spirit of Jesus can do his redeeming work. He's got work to do. Let him do it. Jesus is God's final word in all things. He has won this victory for us already on the cross. That is where we find a proper altar to the Lord. That is the altar of our redemption, where we are redeemed by God himself, no less. But it's not an easy thing, tackling our idols. We read in the final verse, verse 27, how Gideon was so afraid he acted in secret at night. But even in his fear and his doubt, he acted. And God honors that. Lately, the morning prayer in the Church of England has been reciting this canticle or a chant from Isaiah 43. And God sings this. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. I have called you by name. 
You are mine. As the band comes back up, just a reminder, if you need prayer today, seek prayer. I'm also going to say a prayer right now. I'm going to pray and respond to Jesus as my Redeemer. And I invite you all to say it along with me. If you feel prompted to do so, join in in the quietness of your own heart. This is between you and God. If this is your first time saying a prayer like this, hallelujah, that's fantastic news. In your own time, do speak to someone, someone you trust. Let them encourage you and support you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to rescue me. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross to restore me to the Father. I look up to you and turn away from my sins, my self-centeredness, and every part of my life that does not please you. Thank you for your grace towards me. You have called me by name, and so I am yours. Amen.